Well, good morning, Peace Baptist family. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the, the hour loss that got y'all all up in the spirit or what, but this morning's a little bit different. I think so. So between, between Wanda's testimony, between Tom's testimony, between the kiddos preaching, you know, I don't got to worry about what's ahead. I just got to live right. And the little girl's going, and believe in what he said. And, whoo, tell you what, it was, it's, it's a good day. It's a good day. Um, I am excited to be here. I'm excited and honored to get to preach to y'all this morning. My goal today is to get y'all ticked off at me, okay? That's my goal. I like to ruffle some feathers. I like to make things rowdy, okay? So... There we were, Kristen and I, and we were meeting with some new friends of ours, and uh, we were at the Sleepy Bee up in Blue Ash, and we were talking um, just about life, and so they'd asked us, you know, what were we doing in Cincinnati? And so we told them about So Cincy and its mission, its vision to teach people how to do evangelism using plain language. And like clockwork, the woman says to me, I'm not an evangelist. And I pushed back, and I said, let me ask you, because we've been talking for like 15 minutes or so. And I asked her, I'm like, do you talk about your kids? I don't know if y'all know this woman named Mary Brown, but she is an evangelist for the Bengals. <laughs> when it's September through January, every single week, head to toe, bangle this, bangle that. For God so loved Cincinnati that he sent Joe Burrow. It's, it's that kind of thing. And so, stop it. And so, by nature, by nature, all of us are evangelists to the things that are important to us. Can you, can you put up the next slide for me? Thank you. This is a game changer. This is a Panasonic nose hair trimmer that you can get from Target for 20 bucks. Here's why it's a game changer. It's got a vacuum built in so that when you're cleaning out your nose hairs, you ain't got to blow out those snot rockets that are all chopped. Listen, we are evangelists for the things that change our lives. So where were we? We were in, we're in John 4, okay? And so when you read over John 4, you want to look at in comparison to John 3. And so in John 3, you have the story of Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus. And how cool is it to see these differences? The righteous one, Nicodemus, versus the unrighteous, unnamed Samaritan woman. You have with, with Nicodemus, he comes after dark one evening. Why is he coming at night? I don't know. Versus noontime with the woman at the well. There are a lot of people who are smarter than me that even ask the question, why is she gathering water at the well? And Nicodemus came searching when Jesus approached the woman at the well. Nicodemus received more knowledge and the woman, what did she receive? Let's read to what happens next. And so if you're with me, if you would like to stand, we're going to be in John 4. We're going to be starting at about verse 28. 
And so when you get there, let me get a whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. All right, let's go. Now, if you want to be lazy, I won't be mad at you. The verses are up on the screen, so work smarter, not harder. But let's look at John 4, starting in verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And now here's the good thing. I'm going to give you the end of the sermon now. Verse 39, we're going to skip down to it. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Now, like I said, the thought for meditation for today is you can do it, all right? You can do it. You can be an evangelist. And because you're going to stop telling me that you're not an evangelist. So here's the secret to sharing the gospel. The secret to sharing the gospel is right in front of you. Do you know how Jesus talked to his disciples, the Pharisees, and individuals? He told them stories. Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like... Mark 4, and he said the kingdom of God is, is as if a man should. And Luke 7, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like, and he goes on and he shares stories. You come home from a hard day of work, and so you sit down in your favorite chair, you sit down on the couch, and what do you do? Bah! You turn on the TV. You put on your Netflix, you put on your Hulu, all these things, because there's something about these stories that grab your attention. And so it's these stories that are secret to sharing the gospel in 2023 and beyond. There's a reason Jesus told stories or parables, gotquestions.org. They say that a parable is a story told to illustrate a truth. Jesus' parables were teaching aids and can be thought of as an extended analogy comparing two things or ideas, a common description of a parable that is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so, uh, you know, being a parent is hard, and so you want to shield your kids from taking in things that are not biblical and, ungod and, and things that are ungodly. And so I want to talk to you real quick about Moana. <laughs> Make some people mad with Moana. So um, our kids loved, 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 loved Moana and mostly all Disney films. But every so often, Disney throws in some things that aren't necessarily bad, but they're not biblical in the sense. And so at the beginning of, of Moana, the first line is that um, in the beginning, there was only ocean until the mother island emerged. And so often I would pause the movie and say, Actually, kids, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if Moana was true, wouldn't you ask the question, how did the mother island get there? How does something come from nothing? Was the ocean nothing? Or was, was the ocean put there by something? 
And so Moana's and movies like this appeal to our hearts because there's something about these stories that we're bombarded with on Netflix, Disney+, Hulu, Peacock, Amazon, and all the others. And so these are just a perfect way to point people to Jesus. And so you can look at stories of, of good versus evil. While the villain plots the attack, the savior figure saves the day. You look at films like Harry Potter and Star Wars and things like that. Stories about heroes where individuals sacrifice their safety and comfort and sometimes life to save the people who need them. I think about Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark at the end of Endgame where he snaps Thanos to oblivion. Stories that involve character redemption. Steve Harrington from Stranger Things. At first, he was kind of a butthead, but then you see this redemption arc happen when he fights the Demigorgon to help save the Eleven in the squad. And so there are a plethora of stories out there that you can use to point people to Jesus. It's saying, it's saying to yourself, how can I bring the supernatural into the natural? And so the next thing to know is that there are trends that aren't backing the claim that most people make, okay? And so let's talk about it. When you look around at what's going on in society as a whole in the U.S., it's detrimental. You got red versus blue, black versus white, up versus down, truth versus falsehoods, all these different things. And I've often heard people say it's because we live in a post-Christian culture. But a man that we met from way far off in Portland, Oregon, he told us that we don't live in a post-Christian nation. We live in a post-secular nation. So if you go out shopping this week, if you go to Target, if you go to Walmart, if you go to places like Five Below, you can get my first tarot card readings. You can get crystals that you can wear around your, your neck because they bring you good vibes and good energies and things. People are hungry for the spiritual. And the stats back me up on this. Let's look at some stats. These are all from Barna. So this says, if you can't read it, it says a vast majority of U.S. adults report that they would like to grow spiritually. Sometimes it's easy to assume that people who, act, who aren't actively engaged with a local church simply aren't interested in spiritual things. But the data tells a different story. A vast majority of U.S. adults report that they would like to grow spiritually, and this trend towards spiritual openness represents an exciting opportunity for churches. What might your church do to make the most of it? 72% of boomers, 77% of Gen X, 77% of millennials, and 73% of Gen Z are hungry for the spiritual. If they are going to eat at someone's table, make it yours. Let's look at the next one. If you were feeling lonely, how likely is it that you would visit one of the following places? According to the data from Making Space for Inspiration, a new report created in partnership with Aspen Group, that U.S. adults are more likely to seek out other places when lonely. As seen in the graphic picture, several of these options, such as somewhere in nature, a park, or a public place, and a quiet public place, seem to lack the natural opportunities for connection that are common in churches. And so it's hard to see those numbers, but it says 43% say they would go to a family member's house if they were lonely. 42% said they would go to a friend's house if they were feeling lonely. And 49% would go somewhere in nature. So if they come into your house, you ain't going to their house, go for a walk out in nature. And strikingly, 42% said they were not likely to go to a church. Look, PT and I, we are handsome, handsome individuals, as our wives can attest. 
But our handsomeness is not going to bring people into the church. And so we have an awesome opportunity to go to people to bring church things to them. As our family grieves the loss of, of my parents, it's been really, really hard. And, and the hardest thing about it has been um, having to comfort my kiddos as I hear them cry because just their, their little minds can't grasp that someone's not here. And so I can't call PT at 10 o'clock at night and be like, hey, come comfort my kids. That's our job. We have to comfort those people who are lonely and hurting, and it's a wonderful opportunity because the world has a lot of hurt and loneliness in it. And so in my experience, people need a little bit of nudging to be directed to go do something. And so not everyone is wired the same, and sometimes you have to be very direct about it. Now, I do want to share this with you. Can I be honest for a second? Can I be honest? Cool, awesome, perfect. I was going to be honest anyways. It's in the sermon. So one thing I, I have been seeing is that as, as we do a lot of outreach and ministry stuff in the community and things like that, something that's been a little disheartening is, is seeing that there was a lack of uh, individuals coming from Peace Baptist. And those who were, God bless you all, was about the same three, four, or five people that would come time after time and after time. But, everyone say but. but. Thank you. That was kind of weak, but that's all right. It's still early. But last month, we had the opportunity to help out with New Beginnings Church Living God and deliver some household essentials because the family dollar has shut down. I said, I said to, to uh, Bishop Tate, I said, hey, I'll put out an APB to our church. Hopefully some people will come up. Who knows how many? Might be the same three. It'll at least be me. I'll be there, but we'll see what happens. Can I tell y'all? 16 people from Peace Baptist showed up. Go ahead, go ahead, clap yourself. And I think what it is, I think it's two things. I think one, it's obviously it's the Holy Spirit. But also, I think it's the intentional, explicit messaging from the pulpit. If we go back to January 2021, the first sermon was Becoming a Contagious Christian Community. Following that was loving people to life. Following that was save people, serve people. Following that was God's calling, walk it out. Following that is new beginnings. And now here we are in witnessing for Christ. So I think it is explicit and intentional messaging coming from the pulpit to get y'all to move your feet a little bit and get out inside of the community. Amen? Amen. So... Let's talk about the elephant in the room. My experiences have led me to deconstruct or take apart my, the faith of my youth. More than half of Gen Z, 56%, and 47% of all adults say that their experiences have led them to deconstruct or take apart the faith of their youth. You and I are going to have to have hard conversations to begin to reconcile the hurt that has happened by leaders in churches and be the shining beacon of hope that is the fact that when most people deconstruct, they're not deconstructing Jesus, they're deconstructing their experience. And so what we do is that we get into their shoes, we get empathetic, we don't excuse the bad behavior, we understand the failures and we acknowledge the historical failures of the church, but understand that they don't dismantle the truth of the gospel. 
And the last trend that we have, if you want to get young people to church, Barna said, we asked over 13,000 teenagers to complete this sentence. I would prefer to attend a church that supports, and they listed five of the most uh, popular reasons. Number one was ending extreme poverty. Number two was positive mental health. Three was ending hunger and famines. Four was ending sexual abuse. And five was promoting racial justice. Those were the top five responses to people who wanted to get involved in a church. And so that's awesome because when everything seems to be going to hell, we can look and see if there's a very bright future ahead. And so the church has to work to do its best to become the headlights and not the taillights that we've been for the past however many years. Now, you have to do this to get people attracted to Jesus. And what that is is that you have to be different in the ordinary places. So way back in 2018, a few individuals decided they were going to get together once a week to go and annihilate any and all competition in the realm of sand volleyball. This team was special. When you think about all the great teams, when you think about the, the 92 U.S. men's basketball team, the dream team, when you think of the 1980 U.S. hockey team, the Miracle on Ice team, when you think of the 96 Bulls and their 72 wins plus a championship, Golden State should be up there, but they didn't win a championship, so it's mute. This other team was Peace Baptist Church Sand Volleyball. Thank you, thank you. Every single game was a blowout. We were winning 105 to nothing, even though the games were only the 21. That's how good we were. If you can't tell, I'm, I'm lying a little bit. But people like Bridget Ridgway, Tony Bates, and of course yours truly, plus others. But also in that was another great player, and her name was Kristen Jacobs. Kristen wasn't your typical volleyball player because she wasn't a volleyball player. But she had another important role, and that was sitting on the side and talking about Jesus. In her own words for her story, you think there's a place in heaven for me. These were the words this old biker guy said to me. He came for wings and beer once a week to this little joint on the west side, and he was alone, rough around the edges, but kind. We were there with our church for sand volleyball, a bunch of black folks on the west side playing sand volleyball, young and old, with a mutual brotherly love for one another. We must have looked like fish out of water. He saw us and wanted to know, who are you guys? How do y'all know each other? I explained that we are a church. Ah, I don't really get into the church thing, he said. He offered up his story that he grew up Catholic, went to Catholic schools and had some horrible experiences with nuns and decided Christianity wasn't for him. I asked him, do you believe God exists? And he told me he thought maybe that there was something, but not really. I asked him how he thought the world came to be, something out of nothing. And so he went into a story about the cosmos and aliens. And so she casually pushed back and shared the gospel with him. And at the end of the day, he said, nah, it's not for me. I told him that it was good chatting with him that at the end of the, at the, end of the world, I hope he puts his trust in God and I will see him in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's when his eyes sparkled, and he said it with like a childlike expectancy. You think there's a place in heaven for someone like me? A little taken back, she smiled slowly and told him, of course there is. No one is too far or too sinful to be reached by the love of Jesus Christ. 
that explains pleasantries and went about his way, and so she thinks about this often. We spend 40 minutes talking about where he, where he grew up and every roadblock that was made available to him. The belief, the experience with the nuns, the abuse in the Catholic Church, and his concepts of alien inception concerning the cosmos. But at the end of the day, those were smoke and mirrors, and underneath his barrier to belief was a desperation of acceptance. There was a yearning in his voice, a desire for a place. My question to you is this, where are you willing to go and willing to do short of sin to get someone to hear the gospel? I believe simply that if you go be different in ordinary places, people will be attracted to you. Most volleyball teams, everyone looks alike, their friends, their family, and they're usually all in the same age range. But that great Peace Baptist volleyball team was different in an ordinary place. And Kristen used it as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Now, here's what you need to do to start understanding this, and you will never be afraid to talk about Jesus again. Kristen and I created SoCincy for the need to teach people how to do evangelism and discipleship using plain language. And this is what we hear people say over and over and over again. The reasons people aren't sharing the gospel is twofold. First, they don't know what to say and how to say it, so we take care of that. Second, it is their fear that when they talk to someone that the person doesn't put their faith in Jesus right there on the spot that they have failed as a Christian. So if you were to take every single person that you come in contact with and the weight of the world was on your shoulders to make sure that they came to a saving faith relationship with Jesus Christ, I would understand where you would be fearful about that. So you have to change that, and this is how you want to start to understand it. Being, thank you, being an evangelist means that every interaction you have with someone your goal is to move them one degree closer to Jesus. One, I, don't know if, I don't know if y'all started there. One degree. Let me do it over here for y'all. One degree closer to Jesus, okay? If you were to fly from San Diego to Hawaii and that plane was off by one degree, you miss your destination by 42 miles. And so if you had to understand where San Diego is, there's a reason why Cincinnati is called the, mid, the San Diego of the Midwest. San Diego is the bottom west corner of California. And Hawaii is just a little bit underneath that. So again, if you're off by one degree, you miss Hawaii by 42 miles. So what does that mean for, for us now? Back in John 3, Nicodemus comes to have a convo with Jesus, and Jesus lays it out for him. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in, in me shall not perish. God sent his son to save the world. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. And the story gets left at that. But if you continue reading on the book of John, if you check out John 7, it shows at verse 45, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, we have never heard anyone speak like this. The guards responded, have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisee who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are so ignorant of the law that God's curse is on them. Verse 50, then Nicodemus, 
the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, one degree, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he was given a hearing? And then all the way at the end of the book of John, at, verse, at chapter 19, verse 36, these things happen in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the way they pierced. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away with him. With him came Nicodemus. Nicodemus, we don't know if Nicodemus put his faith in Jesus, but Nicodemus turned so much over the course of the entire book of John that he helped to bury the body of Jesus Christ in comparison to the woman who was instant. People are at different places in their life and just simply remember the way we talk, the way we act, the way we pray. Jesus, take control of me to be loving, to be joyful, to be peaceful, patient, kind, generous, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled so that whoever comes across my path, I can help them move one degree closer to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.